1: Welcome to Great Minds, and our guest today, and this is quite a treat. Are those storm clouds? Is that indicative of anything we should be worried about, Irve? I'm a little concerned. My guest today uh, here on Great Minds is Irve Sedke. Irve is the president and chief executive officer of Emerald. Emerald is the new parent company of Advertising Week, And as I was getting dressed this morning, the old Who song and the lyric came up, meet the old boss, same as the old boss. The lyric is not exactly right, but uh, I'm thrilled to have you here uh, with us and get a chance to talk to you, Irvay.
0: Thank you. It's great to be here. It really is. Uh, We're thrilled uh, to uh, partner with you and to continue to build on this incredible business that you've built over the years. It's really really, uh, a real pleasure to, to be here and talk to you about it. Well, it's been a
1: a labor of love working with you and your team and David and everyone else at Emerald. We'll get get to that. I certainly want to talk about it, but let's start somewhere else, which I know is near and dear to you. Uh, For close to 20 years, you've been involved with and are now chairman of the board of the Children's Health Fund. And I'd love to start by talking about how you got involved with it, what it does, and what your mission is as chairman of that absolutely vital organization, which touches so many young people who have no place else to go.
0: That's right. Well, thanks for asking. It is, in fact, something that's near and dear to my heart. Um, my, my father was a surgeon, and um, after he passed away, uh, coincidentally, a few years after, I was sitting on an airplane next to Dr. Erwin Redliner, uh, one of the founders of the Children's Health Funds. And uh, we had a flight from uh, L.A. to New York, and we spoke the entire flight about a number of things, disaster recovery and a number of things. And as, uh, as the plane was landing, he said, you know, I, I should have talked to you about this nonprofit I founded, the Children's Health Fund. And so we met a few days later for lunch and shared all the great things that CHF does in terms of providing medical care to underserved children all over the United States through mobile clinics. And there are about 50 of them across across the US. Just an incredible, incredibly powerful organization that's so much good for children who need medical attention who otherwise can't get it. And the level, what impressed me the most is the level of medical attention provided is the same that you or I or others would give to their kids. It's incredibly strong. Uh, medical uh, attention that's provided to these kids. And once we're in, we never leave and that's a beauty. So once we bring in that mobile clinic, it's always on the corner of this street or that street at such a time on those days and we just stay on with the programs. It's not emergency relief where you're in and out. And, um, and therefore I joined the advisory board and subsequently the board and uh, about five years ago was uh, was named chair and it's just been a, an amazing opportunity, just a great opportunity to, to feel good about the, the impacts that we can have on people that really need it. And I would think during the pandemic,
1: those needs were only accelerated.
0: Absolutely. They really were in terms of, uh, of course, not only vaccine, uh, uh, providing vaccines, but yes, there were definitely a massive need for medical attention to kids and their families during the pandemic, which, which uh, we're happy to provide.
1: Great. Well, I think one of the things that I think we sort of gravitated to each other on naturally is we all like to help. That's right. And sure we want to focus on growing the business, but the opportunity that we have to give back and to contribute no matter what it is and you know as you as we get to know each other better and you know the Emerald Advertising Week, you know, soup gets thicker. You'll see all the various issues and causes I was on with your team, Lori, today talking about sustainability and the opportunity to leverage our platform to touch issues like that, as many as we can, but to have that concentrated impact that you have had on young people, that's that's just fantastic.
0: You know, Matt, that is actually one of the reasons that uh, that we really admired uh, the business that you built. It's It is a phenomenal business in its own right, of course, serving a critical and growing and very big industry, but what you've done around some of the philanthropic, doing well, is something that's really impressive and definitely part of our own culture and ethos, which is these things are really good. Doing good things for business is good, good things for humanity. It's It's great business. And uh, and so we're really impressed with what you've done. And we want to do more. We want to build on what you've done uh, uh, and build that across uh, more of what we do here at Emeralds.
1: Well, thank you. And and uh, we couldn't feel more
0: strongly about the same thing. So that's, Even the due diligence, you like that? Was that...
1: The due diligence is, uh, was was uh, diligent, uh, I think, but uh, happy to happy that it's over and that we passed through with flying colors. You sure did. So let's uh, let's go back and st- and talk about a place that you spent somewhere around twenty years, and that's one of the great companies uh, in America, American Express. You got a chance to work there, in a number of different gigs, rising to senior vice president and general manager of their global travel group, which is enormous and some huge percentage of the overall profitability of the company. But you also got a chance to work in the leadership committee and work with some great CEOs. Ken Chenault, I know you work with. Was Harvey Golub there when you began? Who was there? Was, was. was. it all the way back to Jim Robinson, who I may be the only one old enough to remember?
0: No, of course I remember uh, Jim Robinson. I, I met Jim Robinson subsequently in my career, but he had already left American Express. Uh, I did start uh, under Harvey Golub's leadership and ended under Ken Chenault's leadership. Uh, so I had the opportunity to work uh, with, with Ken, uh, not with Harvey. I was way too junior for him to even know who I was in the, in the company. But I started um, as, I didn't actually start at American Express. We were an acquired company. So my first job was with Thomas Cook and American Express acquired Thomas Cook. So I'm one of the people that didn't choose to work for American Express, but I chose to stay with American Express. Just an incredible company that taught me a lot. Uh, And I always worked on the B2B side of American Express. So I uh, learned a lot about how great companies are run. Uh, Ken and, and his leadership uh, really was instrumental in, uh, in the performance of the company by focusing on customers, focusing on innovation, uh, focusing on people. Those are really the three things that Ken drove uh, for the company that I think um, has stayed with me for sure in every leadership job I've had at American Express and subsequent to American Express. And that's, you deliver very, very strong financial results as American Express has by focusing on these three constituencies.
1: And you must have had some great folks who mentored you. As you said, you started off, you were a young buck and then you rose all the way up to be part of the leadership team. Going back to that early period after the Thomas Cook acquisition, were there any particular people or moments that were sort of seminal for you rising up that ladder at American Express?
0: Oh, absolutely. Um, the first name uh, that comes to mind when you speak about mentorship is Ed Gilligan, who I had the, the uh, fortune of reporting into earlier on in my career uh, when he was a senior vice president. And he had been in charge of the Thomas Cook acquisition. So uh, by default, I reported into him and I learned a lot from from Ed, who uh, unfortunately uh, in the last few years passed away at a young age of 55, uh, but just an incredible uh, person, uh, very focused on people, focused on customer. And he taught me a lot. He taught me to focus on the things that I can control. He told me to to uh, To think about and operate at the, at the level that I want to be at, not necessarily the level that I am at. Um, really focus on innovation, really big on how we're going to disrupt and put ourselves out of business, and really pressured us to think differently about what business we're in, how do we define the business that we're in. Another uh, great mentor and leader who remains uh, so today is Charles Petruccelli, who I reported to um, in in the travel uh, days after I was sent up uh, to MX Canada for three years, when I came back, I joined the travel unit and uh, reported into Charles. And Charles was is this phenomenally uh, experienced um, a gentleman who I, I remained very close with and, and and stay in touch with and still call him for advice and counsel uh, from time to time. But just an incredible general manager, also focused on on the right things. So. I learned a lot from my days at American Express and, uh, and try to leverage that uh, every day today.
1: Absolutely. And your focus was on B2B. I know your degree was from Northeastern, a Bachelor of Science, International Business. How did you end up in that part of the business ecosystem?
0: Um, by complete accident. I, uh, I wanted to be in the travel business because I enjoyed travel and it was as simple as that and a friend of mine said to me, you know, if you work for a travel company, you get free airline tickets and given I had no money, I thought this is a really good way to travel and enjoy, see the world and go back home and so forth and so on. So I did that and uh, enjoyed the travel business for these very personal reasons and, and stayed in the business, just loved the business. And American Express is divided in B2B and B2C, uh, or at least it was at the time, where the B2B is all about business travel, corporate card, corporate purchasing card, all the corporate payment solutions. And, um, and I took a real liking to working with large enterprise customers and really understanding their needs and developing different solutions to meet those needs. And to work my way up the organization from, although I did a small stint in sales, I was very quickly pulled out of sales and uh, put into operations, which is the very strong signal that you're not very good at sales if they move you immediately to operations. But uh, I was in operations for a bit and and, in client management and then ran the consulting division and and ultimately uh, had a senior leadership job in the travel unit.
1: Absolutely fantastic. Listen, most things begin by accident, I find. So uh, that's not unique, but a great story. And you were part of that leadership team uh, during some tough economic times. There must have been some difficult moments at American Express in that big boardroom down on BZ
0: Street. Very, very difficult times, uh, especially in the travel unit. Uh, The travel unit was under enormous pressure. First of all, the economic pressures, to your point, but also competitive pressures. The uh, creation of all these online uh, booking uh, solutions that were a lot less expensive and easy to use uh, had a massive impact on our business. And people were using it initially for just leisure travel, but it quickly uh, gravitated to also cover business travel. And so we were under enormous pressure. And so what we had to do is really think about the business differently. this is where Charles and others uh, pushed the organization to, one, of course, to re-engineer. So we had to start with the basics of re-engineer the business such that we can remove costs, create cost flexibility so that we can survive. And so that was the first thing, and that's really painful. The layoffs, the closing of offices, things that no one enjoys doing but needs needs to be done in order to save uh, the thousands of employees that were going to stay on afterwards. After that, and and my main area of focus and what I was really proud of doing was to create assets of immense value to customers that we could sell to them. It drove a lot of value and we were able to get compensated for the value that we created. And that was really in the form of data, in the form of consulting services. So we pivoted uh, and became less of a pure transaction processor and became more of a value creator for our clients. And we were able to uh, really build a business hundreds of millions of dollars greater, uh, which was a lot more profitable and basically uh, saved the travel division, uh, which was ultimately and subsequently sold to private equity. But that
1: nimbleness that you had to learn to survive, I would think now as chief executive officer, those moments and that skill set really helps you to this very
0: day. Absolutely. It really does. And uh, there are a lot of learnings that I've had. I'll tell you, I I can tell you that over the years, I never re-engineered enough. I never re-engineered fast enough, right? Uh, There are so many things that you learn and you try and not repeat the mistakes, but unfortunately, sometimes you do. And uh, second or third time in, I think now I've gotten the lessons and uh, and we're trying to do the same here at Emerald, which is build a scalable platform uh, that is a growth platform, such as we've just talked about in terms of growing through M&A, but also growing through launches, launching of new brands. and uh, And so we're adding cost flexibility We're managing some of these things. a huge focus on talent, attracting the right people, retaining the right people, uh, and also a huge focus on growth through acquisitions and through launches.
1: Fantastic. All right. We're going to get deeply into Emerald, but let's close sort of chapter one of your career at American Express and open chapter two, the move to read, big player in the space. You had a great, great run there.
0: How did you go from American
1: Express to read? Because I don't know that.
0: It was uh, also by accident. I actually had a, a little bit of time in between where I thought I wanted to do some uh, private equity and venture, uh, and I did that for about nine months. And it, I realized that uh, it wasn't really what I enjoy doing, even though I like doing deals and I like buying companies. um I'm really—I discovered an operator. I enjoy running the actual companies, and so my my stint in in private equity was short-lived. And I coincidentally got a call um, advising me that the CEO of of Reed Exhibitions was looking for someone to run the Americas. It was just perfect timing, and um, and with a with a good strong references from American Express, I was able to. Uh, To land this uh, this great job in a great company Uh, the parent company relics is an excellent company data company They all some of the divisions are LexisNexis and Elsevier Um, Reed exhibitions was the smallest of uh, of the uh, four divisions, uh, but a higher growth than some of the other divisions and uh, Therefore important to the company and I learned the exhibitions uh, business while at Reed's during my interview. I was asked by the CEO if I, what I knew about exhibitions, and I said that I've attended at least one a year, and um, and uh, I was told at that time that I met minimum qualifications for the role, so that I thought, okay, good. It's a good start, and yes, I spent six years there, um, outstanding, great people.
1: And I would think, as we start to sort of build that career narrative, the work that you did, B2B, travel-focused, that was, whether it was by luck plan, design, inadvertent, pretty good preparation
0: for Reed. Absolutely. And I think running a business, it is in a similar uh, industry for sure. It's not the exact same. There are some similarities. But what's sim- similar is is the running of a business is a general management role of thinking about people and how we retain, inspire, recruit people. Um, of course, the uh, how you manage The financials, how you think about growth, some of those basics honestly apply to almost any industry, which is why I'm not that focused on what people have done as I hire. I don't really care where they come from or what industry. I could care less for most roles, whether they even have a college degree and what they studied, candidly. We've eliminated the college degree requirement from most roles at Emeralds. I always joke around that when I was in searching for a general counsel, I did want them to have a law degree. Uh, but other than a few very specialized roles that require degrees, we've eliminated that requirement uh, at, at Emeralds, And those are things that you learn through experience. And uh, yes, yeah, so I did bring that from my experience at Amex and subsequently my experience at Reed's.
1: Going back to something you said earlier about you know, Amex really putting you in focus on operations. Knowing what the engine looks like when you lift the hood, you can look at it and know what all the parts do and how it all works together. And when something breaks, how to fix it. I would think as a CEO, that is
0: invaluable knowledge to have. That's right. And having worked my way up the ranks from a financial analyst to a marketing person to an operations person, I think I do have an appreciation for different roles, different levels, different functions and, and the importance of every single one of them. Ultimately, our job as leaders is very similar to one of a, of, a, of a coach where you have to basically hire the best talents. You have to design the play. You have to make sure you have the right person playing that play and you have to constantly tweak that play until you win. There are a lot of leaders out there that I've observed either directly or indirectly that yell at their teams to go out and score more goals. It doesn't work that way. It just right. doesn't. Right. And those are things that you learn over time from great leadership that I've had and great companies that I've worked for.
1: Absolutely. And and I, you know, it's, I'm flooded with memories of people I knew at, at Amex early in my career. And there were some terrific people at that company uh, there was a brilliant marketing guy named Jerry Wells. Jerry was a consultant to Warner Canto, who was sort of John Hayes before he was John Hayes, and now it's Elizabeth. And I remember in the 80s, they really invented the whole business of cause-related marketing with the campaign for the Statue of Liberty, with Leah Iacocca, a member of uh, brought Chrysler back. I do, and uh, some brilliant, brilliant marketers, and uh, I hope the company continues to do well. I think economically, it's it relative to how they make their money, contrasted with Mastercard and Visa, which is a very different business, and it's a tougher business.
0: Yeah, it is a different business. Um, it's a different value proposition, given the uh, unique advantage that American Express has in terms of owning uh, the relationship with its card members and the relationship with merchants really allows American Express to uh, be able to offer significantly more services to its customers. So it doesn't have to work through an intermediary of many, many banks, which makes it much more difficult to control the entire service experience. And so Amex has this inherent built-in value proposition competitive advantage, and they're able to leverage that to get a stronger and higher fee from its merchants. So my I, I would continue to bet on American Express and uh, and do, uh, but equally there are disruptive payment uh, applications that are out there that other networks are providing. Uh, but also there are newer payments companies that are emerging that are leveraging you know uh, crypto and uh, yeah I and would blockchain. I would think
1: you're looking Emerald I would think you're looking at fintech somewhere
0: we are absolutely yeah, we're looking at that be. as well we're looking at it from a couple of ways. We're looking at it in terms of how we can educate our customers. We have a an event that we're launching um, called uh, D2, and uh, it's really about educating businesses, large and small, around how to enter that space. Because what we found is that it's actually very, very complicated to be able to accept alternative payment solutions. And so we feel that we have a way not to enter the business in a traditional way that's currently being ser- served, but in a way that's all around education. And so we're going to be doing a number of uh, events, uh, live and in person. Uh, we have a content uh, business that we're launching in this area as well to be able to educate. And also we're looking at it ourselves, like we will attend our own events because we wanna learn and for Emerald uh, as a company, we need to also be a lot more progressive around the understanding, the use of these alternative payments. So something that's definitely on our radar. Yeah,
1: really white-hot area. Okay, so let's uh, let's get to Emerald. You take over as president and CEO, give or take January of 2021, in the midst of what is not the peak period for the live events business. I'd love to hear how you got there and what that must have been like to start in the middle of a time when none of the shows are really happening you're not meeting a lot of your colleagues and employees Uh, that is an unusual circumstance to say the least to take the helm of a pretty big company
0: it was definitely uh, a unique time uh, to join a a live events company Uh, most of my uh, friends and colleagues thought uh, i was crazy Uh, But the reality is um, how I got there was being recruited by Emerald's uh, board chair, uh, who I've gotten to know not very well, but I had gotten to know a little bit. And um, and we had a a casual relationship and uh, he had me to he asked me to consider uh, taking that role on. We had discussions for for a while about it. And so it was really um, I, I had been thinking about it for for a bit. Uh, what drove me to Emerald is very simple. I only knew what was public. It's a public company, and I didn't have any insider information, obviously. I knew the brands that Emerald have are really the top brands in the markets that they serve. And that's what I knew. And I thought, this is incredible to be able to join a company with such incredible brands, whether it's you know outdoor retailer or ASD or KBiz or New York Now, just incredible brands. And uh, so I wanted to, uh, I knew that as a result of having really strong brands, the top brands in a particular sector, it had, the company had to do well. And then when I joined, I found that there are a number of other assets, phenomenal content assets, great people. And it was really a question of saying the first year, and it gave me the luxury because we weren't operating any shows to start to think about where the business can be in three to four years. And so, to some degree, it was actually quite helpful to not have much distraction in the way of running a day-to-day operation, because we had very little that was running, and actually think about how do we create a flexible cost platform and structure? How do we start building businesses that are going to have massive growth? how do we look at the sectors that we're in and how we're going to grow them, but also look at sectors that we're not in that we should start expanding into. And so in a strange way that that year was immensely helpful in creating a strategic plan, and we have been very, very focused on operating to that plan without exception and delivering against that plan, which I'm really excited about.
1: So we're gonna come back to that in a second, but let's stay with the beginning. And taking the helm of Emerald just in the beginning of 21 while pretty much nothing's happening. I know for me, I feed off the energy of our people, breakfast. I'm still out. I still come into work every day. I love to come to the office and we're like most companies now, you know, and our team is wonderful three days a week. Everyone's working remotely. It all works but I feed off the energy of people and the energy of the events. I would think you do also, and you could not have that satisfaction. How did you keep your spirits up as a leader, part of the job, and you said it before, is to be the coach, keeping your team spirits up? Sometimes I struggled with it. How did you navigate that very difficult, unusual period of time?
0: Yeah, well, I struggled with it, too, for sure. Um, there were two or three of us that were actually in the office every day or practically every day. And uh, our COO and our CFO and I. And so even during the times where we weren't running anything, we were there. So we had a, I, I had a little bit of support uh, in the office. But more importantly, uh, what we did with the help of our head of communications is we set up these uh, breakfast meetings with all all of our employees. I felt that it was a great time for me to get to know everyone. And so in groups of 15 in alphabetical by first name or last name, I forget, we basically started, I think it was 12 to 15 people, started meeting every employee in the company. And that was incredible because I, uh, I fed off of that energy. It was more useful to me than certainly it was to them. I can guarantee you that. But it gave me a great opportunity to get to know people, uh, they got them an opportunity to get to know their new CEO. But more importantly, what's on their minds? How do they react to some of the initial thoughts of the strategic plan? And they helped inform the strategic plan. Uh, So we tried to do a number of creative things that we had to through Zoom uh, that I would have loved to do in person. Now, once the world reopened, we pivoted to in-person. So now they're their breakfasts, their lunches, their dinners, their drinks, they're a lot more fun, uh, but we've maintained that culture of getting to know uh, people and, and, and maintaining the energy that we get from being with people. Yeah,
1: and I think our team felt that humanity and genuineness and warmth the way you and your leadership team, David and Beth and Stacy, the whole team, when you came here to our office uh, and that first day when it was announced and we love that you did the emerald company wide town hall from our office and i think that meant a lot to our people and they you know it was a few weeks ago they still talk about it so i think that approach which clearly starts you know leadership comes from the top and clearly that comes from you from david i think it's it's real and we all felt it here
0: at our company well thank you you know we're people and and uh, treating people the way that we want to be treated is another Uh, Great learning from my American Express days. That was a core philosophy of American Express. Treat people the way that you'd want to be treated. And it's so simple. And we just need to, to do it in a very authentic, genuine way. And people know when it's genuine. They know when it's authentic. Absolutely. Absolutely. So
1: the cloud starts to lift. The engine starts to rev. And things start happening again talk about those early days the first shows that came back some came back strong right away some struggle and it's sort of like you know picking up speed on the highway now the cars are in the left lane you know going at full speed but that ramp up period that must have also been interesting as a ceo
0: yeah it was very interesting in that also some of the dynamics changed so customers were booking much later in their cycle than they typically had So there are a number of things that we were programmed. uh, Muscle memory kicks back in and we're programmed to expect and so forth that actually weren't operating as we remembered them or as we thought it would. And therefore, that was incredibly stressful for the organization. Are we going to be able to reopen and and grow and deliver on the commitments that we've made internally and, and externally? But it, it did slowly uh, come back, and to your point, in, in very different ways. And it dif- differed on sectors, it differed on geographies. If you remember when things first opened, some geographies were still closed. Some had mask requirements, which was a good thing in some cases, a bad thing in others. It was, it was just uh, masks, as you remember, and, and still is to some degree, a highly political issue, which it should, should have never been, but it was. And so we were caught in the middle of health and safety, making sure we're doing the right thing for our customers, the right thing for our people, um, dealing with the political implications of imposing masks, which we did because we thought it was the right thing to do for safety, um, and and getting the and, and and suffering through some of the business consequences of some of these decisions. But we we set up we set up principles. We were clear on what we thought we needed to do. We were very well advised by medical doctors and experts, and we just followed what, what we thought was the right thing without excuse. And that was very, uh, very useful to us by sticking to what we said we we're going to do. Again, you're seen as a leader in the industry as having integrity, being very clear, being very upfront, and slowly that machine started revving and, and got to where we are today, which is not back to complete normal. Uh, but we're slowly uh, getting there and feel continue to feel more confident in, in the growth and in the business coming back. As a matter of fact, every quarter sees improvement on the last quarter.
1: It sounds like this notion of extending the relationships beyond the few days of the event and building those year-round Feels like that was sort of part of the plan before, but I would think only accelerated now.
0: That's exactly right. I think we had no choice, because we had no other way to, to get people together except through virtual, or to feed them content through our content machine. So we, without having any choice, we had to do it. We had to do it in order to keep, maintain relationships with customers. We, had to, we needed to do it in order to drive some level of revenue, even though it was significantly less. And, but that got us to also understand what customers value and what they don't value. Some of the things we did, they really, truly valued and they asked for more and they were willing to pay for it. Some other things we did, they didn't at all. As a matter of fact, they, our NPS and some of the products that we launched was extremely low, embarrassingly low. So we also learned around what we need to immediately cancel and stop doing. Um, So that helped inform this 365 strategy that we have, which is all about, to your point, remaining in touch with customers and something that you do very well all year. So we have the events for a certain number of days, but also how do we continue to drive value the rest of the year through content, through generating leads, etc.?
1: Yeah, it, it's so interesting how the whole thing has evolved. I mean, you know, again, you know, the memory plays tricks on us sometimes, but you know, hearing you say that, I was going back to, you know, our early days, 20 years ago, basically the curtain came up four days, it went down, and that was it. How we kept busy all year is beyond me. I think we were. But now the opportunity that we have to build and extend these relationships all year and the events become the crescendos of conversations and relationships that are genuinely 365. It's very different, and I think much more exciting.
0: I agree. We've also added another component, which is very exciting, and that's the actual purchase or the transactional piece. We really believe that if we, really events, and whether they're live or in person, are really meant to inspire and to discover new, that's why people go to events or read contents. And then the people that pay for this are really looking for leads. So we've discovered, we've uh, invented, if you will, the Emerald Discovery Engine. And the Emerald Discovery Engine is really about whether it's an event, live or in person, or content, you really must inspire people and give them new. And also you have to deliver to the people that pay leads. Then we added a marketplace that allows them also to transact. And so now they can also, customers can buy and sell. Um, and that is immensely helpful for many reasons. One is it closes the loop with customers. This is what they see. This is what they appreciate. This is the content they read. And this is what they're buying and selling, which allows us to capture immense amount of data. Ultimately, we are also becoming a data company and a digital company. And with this data, we can start developing in the future, we don't have this today, but new products and services that we'll be able to develop to deliver to these customers.
1: And as CEO, I have to think a big part of your focus is navigating that evolution, experiential and how that evolves, digital and how that around, evolves, year-round connectivity. And as you just said, being there for the transaction, and in many cases, hosting or
0: causing the transaction. That's right. With this intense and maniacal focus on what do the customers need, because if that's what drives every decision, I'm confident in our ability to be successful. We really need to continue to have this incredible focus on the customer. Uh, we have one of our three pillars of our strategy is customer centricity. It's really doing business on our customers' terms, making it super easy for them to do business with us. Pricing in an intelligent way that allows customers to participate in our solutions at any level. It, you, you, we used to only have one price. Now we have multiple prices. If you have a very low budget, you can participate with us. This is the value that you get. If you've got massive budget, you can participate with us. And this is the value that you get. So we're really changing the way that we are interacting with customers because if we do that well, I really, truly believe we're unstoppable.
1: And you are also a leader within the sector. Are there things that you see others doing that you say, hey, I'm going to borrow that? Are there things that are unique and proprietary? We're just getting to learn this business. Are there things, attributes, assets that are coming from within the Emerald Laboratory that are unique to Emerald? within the sector?
0: Yes, there are. There are things that are unique to us, uh, to my knowledge. And of course, we're a highly fragmented industry, so I don't know all the players. But of the few players that we follow, we're the ones that have this transaction processing engine. Um, and we've developed this this holistic discovery engine uh, in, in in the Emerald fashion. And that is new and different. and And analysts and people that follow us are telling us that it's when they hear us talk, they are hearing a little bit of a different company from who else is playing in this industry. We have data, digital, uh, marketplace. I believe that others will also do that if we're successful. I'm sure that others will do it. But there are some things that other companies do that we, of course, are more than happy to copy with pride. Uh, We have formidable competitors uh, out there. It's a it's an industry that's filled with great companies and great leadership, and there are some things that we're more than happy. Uh, to, right. to borrow and, and use if, uh, if they work well. Right, absolutely, as in any business. And you've got a
1: great team. You've got a terrific board, the one who brought us together first, who connected me to David and turned to you, Linda Clarizio. You've got to real dynamic and big thinkers and progressive
0: thinkers on the Emerald board. We really do. We have a diverse board. Uh, they're, they're extraordinarily supportive, uh, starting with our majority shareholder, Onyx, who have been an incredible uh, supporter of, uh, of course, signing off on our strategy and allowing for the investments that we're making because they're material investments in uh, changing the company to where we believe we need to go. And there, I, I really feel this, this, the comfort and the support of Onyx and the entire board as we change the company. Fantastic stuff. Um, You were very kind and gracious
1: in your remarks about us uh, on the front end of our conversation here. Um, But let's dig in a little bit deeper to what will evolve as Advertising Week is now part of the Emerald family. Um, When you lay awake at night, I hope you're thinking of things other than us. But when we do cross your mind, um, what do you think? If we're doing this again in a year, what for you as chief executive officer, will be a measure of success beyond financial performance?
0: Well, I think that there are a number of things that you have done extraordinarily well compared, for instance, to our own performance, or I would argue probably most of the industry's performance. And that is around the value that you create for uh, massive sponsors uh, of, of content and of live events how you're able to deliver on that and create that value through the various forms that you have. It is not typical in our industry to see this and that's something that I would love to see across the entire Emerald portfolio. We also talked about you're doing the right thing and you do a lot of that whether it is around sustainability, around some of the nonprofit, and you have a number of companies and, and organizations that you've supported that i think are making i believe and i see that it makes you more relevant more credible more authentic in the space where you operate i think we can learn from that and we can do more uh, in this area so outside of of course being an an excellent business that has growth opportunity we can launch in other markets Um, those are the the top two and the third is more maybe a bit softer but you have grown the business in an entrepreneurial way with a very creative thinking and that's something that we need to continue to infuse in our company. We never, regardless of how big we get, we always want to be the entrepreneurs. We want to run the company like entrepreneurs. We want to be scrappy. We want to Look for opportunities that, um, that, have that, that, that have great opportunities for our people, for our customers, for our shareholders. And I think you do that as part of your culture. You personally, your team, I feel it, I see it. And that's something that I would love to, to see uh, continue as we work together and grow Emeralds. Well, that's, that's such a humbling answer. Um,
1: and I'm, uh, you got me almost at a loss for words, almost. Um, but I, I, I think the opportunity for us to be part of, you know, the Emerald Mothership is really special for us and very meaningful and that we've created value over, you know, 20 years um, to be viewed as you just outlined is, is the only word I can think of is humbling. And we're excited, energized. Uh, we love the business as much today as that first phone call when I got in July of 2022. Uh, 20, 2002, excuse me, looking for an idea that ultimately became Advertising Week. And we are thrilled to be part of your team, Herve. Uh, And we look forward to the years to come and really building on what we've built and the opportunity to know that 10, 15, 20 years from now, that this will still be here. And the only way that was going to happen was to be part of a larger enterprise and that it ended up being emerald with you and david and your team we feel really privileged and i thank you for spending some time with us here on great minds and uh we look forward to all that
0: lies ahead likewise and thank you very much for having me it really is a a pleasure and an honor to be here thank you chaptering, and other structural elements for this podcast are powered by Snackable AI. With the ability to unify all content in one place, have AI distill the best insights instantaneously, and share them seamlessly, businesses on Snackable create more relevant value for their audiences faster than ever before. Learn more at snackable.ai.